Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 599. Don't wait to be sure. Move, move, move. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, all the way from Hanover, Germany, Christoph Mater. Christoph, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Always with my six-point harness. <laughs> very good. I love that. Christoph Mader is the designer from Hanover, Germany, whose passion for automobiles runs very deep. He studied mechanical and photographical engineering in school and switched to visual communications, where he found his true passion. Christoph worked for Zaxbeed, a team running a Viper that won the 24 Hours of the Nürburgring, and the Lechner Racing, who ran a Porsche, and then with the Jet Alliance, who ran an Aston Martin DBR9. And from that experience, the book DBR9, The Definitive History, came about where he did the design, the layout, and the 3D modeling, and the research and writing. Other noted projects include the Carrera 2.7 book and a complete corporate design program for Jet Alliance. His most recent project is the new Carrera RS book by authors George Kondrasheim and Thomas Gruber that's published by Tag Motorbooks in an updated version of this iconic RS book published years ago. And today, one lucky Cars Yes subscriber is going to win a copy of this absolutely fantastic Carrera RS book, Compliments of Christoph. So thank you for doing that. So Christoph, I told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career and your passion for automobiles before we get into the questions? Well, I think it started all around um, 1989, 1990. I, I, I still remember when I was in Brazil, I have ancestry, my mother is from Brazil. Ah, okay. That was the beginning of the 80s, and there was uh, the Formula One race um, running on the television. And since I couldn't understand the commentary, I didn't speak Portuguese at that time. I thought, well, that's, um, that's kind of boring to watch. And they had those great names, Senna, PK, Mansell, and you heard them. Oh, yeah. You knew that those guys were <laughs> important guys, but I thought it was boring. But then a couple of years later, I was zapping through the television channels, teenager, I think I was 16, and I got stuck on uh, Eurosport, 
And in that moment, Nigel Mansell spun with his Ferrari in uh, Imola at full speed, but he stayed on the throttle and went back on the track without even lifting. It was <laughs> that was like a shock moment. How how is he able to do something like that? <laughs> yes. Wow. And then I watched the race until the finish. And from that day, I watched every Formula One race, at least in the 1990s. And that's when it, uh, that's when it got started. And I knew that I would do my driver's license. In Germany, you do that with, when you're 18. And I knew that I had to have an Alfa Romeo. So I started in school designing the, um, the paint scheme of my uh, Alfa Romeo. <laughs> cool. And since I couldn't afford a, um, Bertoni, um, I only got something with an Alfa Romeo badge on it. And that was an Alfa Sud. Ah, okay. I don't know how many people still know, know that uh, ugly little car. <laughs> it's, it's like the Volkswagen Golf, but um, nicer. Yeah. So I got that one. It was the cheapest Alfa Romeo I could buy. I thought it was really ugly. But then I fell in love with the engine. Mm. The complete car was, yeah, it was like it was. <laughs> but the engine was so revvy. Uh, and until today, I haven't found... Uh, an engine that is that quick in throttle response. Yeah, sure. You just have a mechanical cable and that operates, um, the engine has um, double carburetors on each side because it's a boxer engine, mm. like a 911. Yeah. So you operate uh, four butterfly throttles with just one cable and it's there's a direct line. There's no little electronic uh, motor that has to turn something. There's no electronics involved that that are slower than a PlayStation 2. <laughs> so, um, and it has very short, uh, the, the manifold is like almost non-existent. It's two and a half inches from the, the butterfly to the, um, to the valve opening. Ah, uh, nice. So <laughs> it's just great. And it had a great sound. Yeah. It sounds like you got bit both on the racing side and the, the car side. And I know that, uh, in some of our correspondence before we did the show here today, um, you sent some pictures of of a uh, Alpha that you have, and I think I shared a picture of a Gisario designed uh, Scirocco, one of my first new cars I had, and uh, yeah. we've had a fun time talking about cars. But we're going to talk a lot more about you and your involvement in projects, specifically some of these book projects. But first, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Christoph, take the wheel. I think I have more than one, but it's not really a specific one. Back in that, those times, it was Nike with Just Do It. Mm. So I got a couple of T-shirts with that saying on, on the front. Yep. But a couple of years ago, I found a postcard in a place, and it was it just has the words, don't wait to be sure, move, move, move. Ah, I love and that. I thought, that's, that's what I will go for from now on. Tell us how you've incorporated those two concepts into your career and what you've been doing. Mostly my career decisions um, haven't been based on on like putting down the pros and the cons on a piece of paper and then talking to my wife 10 times and saying, should I go for this now or should I switch the team? It normally just came about um, for the first, before all that started, uh, my career plan, you know, what profession will I pick up when I get older? I always knew 
I want to be uh, with the Formula One circus. I want to travel around the world with those crazy guys <laughs> turning up in all sorts of countries in a 14-day rhythm. Yeah. So um, when I studied mechanical engineering, I was we had like 530 people in my semester that I started with. Mm -hmm. And given the same amount of uh, time and preparation for a test, I was like in the midfield around number 300. So I knew that I won't become a Formula One engineer uh, if I'm just uh, a midfield player. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, let's drop that, try something else. Um, I always wanted to go uh, into design, but it's not that easy to get a design uh, university place. You know, the slot that sure. you can study. Oh, yeah. So I put in between the, that photographical uh, engineering thing in Cologne. But that is just like mechanical engineering just for cameras. Mm. So yeah, it, it wasn't really a step closer to uh, Formula One. Right. So then I thought, okay, if that won't work, then I'll just become a f photographer and work with a magazine. But then I got picked by university for visual communication. So I thought, okay, let's switch my approach now. Um, let's try it like this. So I didn't apply for a job after university. I already uh, applied for my diploma work. So I just called up the teams that were doing Formula One or IndyCar uh, and said, um, I will do all sponsor-related uh, activities, uh, sponsor visualizations um, with Photoshop. I designed things, how, how it could look not like on a drawing, but on the real car so that the CEOs of big companies would get a better understanding and oh, be yeah, yeah. dragged uh, closer into the into the vibes of real motorsport in, instead of just a plain 2G, 2D drawing. Sure. So I didn't apply for a job. I only applied for a free of charge thing. They just have to take me to the racetracks with them. Mm -hmm. I get to wear their team clothing and in return, I give them all the material that I'm doing for the university for my master diploma. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. And after six weeks, they said, what are you doing after your university time? Yeah. And when can you start? And then I was <laughs> very quick thinking and thought, um, let's not postpone, but prepone my diploma a day, uh -huh. you know, when you get tested in front of all those professors. Yes. Um, because I thought, man, that's like one monthly wage more. <laughs> So, like that. yeah. So I didn't really finish the university. I was already working before I got my uh, degree. And just for the uh, day of the degree, I had to take a special vacation <laughs> because I was still in my probation time. Yeah. But it all worked out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love the takeaways here. The fact that goes back to your mantras of just doing it, getting your feet underneath you and just running, running, running and just making it happen because it sounds like exactly what you did. Let's go back in time here and have you share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Now, you touched on this a little bit when you were a teenager. You discovered Formula One. You wanted an Alfa Romeo. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really realized that you were indeed a car guy? Yeah, I have that pivotal moment. It was... I think 1991, when Derek Warwick was driving the Arrows, and they had an inboard camera showing his feet. Uh, yes. I have no, nobody in my surroundings uh, knows uh, is a car guy. Mm -hmm. So you hear those things of uh, blip throttling or blipping. Yeah. And I thought, you have three pedals and only two feet? That doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, how do you do um, that? Downshifting when, when you're standing on the brake. And then I saw it on camera, how that how that works. And 
they had that thing on the the column, the the steering column facing downwards onto the pedals and feet. Mm. And in Hockenheim, the old Hockenheim ring, when they were going through the forest straight out and then breaking down from 200 miles an hour to uh, to a first gear chicane, uh, he did it very nicely. Yeah, I <laughs> like think six, so. Fifth, fourth, third, second gear. Said, ah, this is how it works. And then I did that with my Alfa Romeos, and I needed a new gearbox. Uh, every 12 months. Uh-oh. That's so funny. I remember I, I went to racing school when I wanted to race vintage cars and how they would teach people to double clutch and, you know, blip throttle and roll your foot over and do that. And uh, once you kind of figure it out, you oh, it kind of becomes natural. But at first, it's a very odd feeling indeed. And I'm familiar with that video. You watch videos of the, the master racers. It is incredible how fast their feet are. Just absolutely maestros with their feet for sure. <laughs> so Christoph, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a big failure that you faced along the way in your career. But of course, the most important part of this is how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you so that you could carry on forward? A big failure. Oh, now you're asking something. Um, I've been... Um a freelance, you know, on a freelance basis, mm -hmm. only the, f the first team at, when I was working for Zagspeed, there I was a regular uh, employee. Mm. But from then on, I, I moved to Austria to Walter Legner and his uh, racing school and his Porsche Super Cup team. And he said, why do you pay taxes? Do it like you're freelance on freelance basic. You can have a lot more out of your wage. I said, okay, I'm going to go for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, which might not be the smartest decision, um, but uh, it was it was uh, okay for the time. Mm -hmm. But what I wanted to say was, from then on, I thought, okay, how will I um, promote promote my own career? How will I get forward? So I um, gave myself this line: okay, every year, ten percent of what you earn, you can put into into what you love. Um, try out a new business idea or something. Yeah. Uh, and if those 10% are wasted, then that's, that's how it is. Right. No problem. A learning so, step. Yeah. So, um, I, I had some learning steps like every one or two years, then I changed my idea because I thought, well, this is not working right. For example, I did, um, I also like model cars. So I individualized models. You, you can get those 1 to 18 scale models yes. from AutoArt, for example. Oh, yeah. There is even a little market because uh, you can also get them in a plain body version, mm, at, yeah. at least some of the race cars. Right. So I took those things apart. You take out the windows and the plastic parts, and then you spray paint the, the body. Um, since I'm a designer, I didn't have any problems with... Um, uh, doing all those graphics right. and getting the dra uh, graphics uh, to, into water decals. So, and then you do the the varnishing on top of the stickers and rebuild it again, and then you sell it. Ah, okay, customize. Well, at least you, you customize models, yeah. And then you try to sell it. Yes. But I found out that there's like a price limit for what people are willing to pay. Oh, yeah. Now, if you... I always give this example. If you go to a cinema and it's more than 20 bucks, then you just say, well, this is a cinema. Yeah. Too expensive. <laughs> Too expensive. Yes. You have, you might have the greatest film on earth, but you still will. I don't know what, what you pay in a cinema in, in, in the States, but in Europe, it's like 
a little below 20 bucks yeah, for sure. if it's over length and Leonardo DiCaprio and 3D. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like the limit. Sure. And I noticed this with these individualized uh, models in that scale, 1 to 18th scale. Mm-hmm. The limit is in the paddock. You, know, you talk to um, gentlemen drivers uh, and others, and yeah, it's around 500 to $700. You just can't get more out of it. Sure. But you do, or it is possible to sell those one to eight scale models. They are like as big as a 27 inch uh, iMac. Mm -hmm. In that size, you can, I sold 13 cars of the Jetalines Aston Martin from a company from, from Britain, Amalgam. They make beautiful. Oh, yes. Yes. I've had them as guests on my show here. Yeah. Yeah. But it's exactly the same amount of work. You have the same steps. You need the same time to spray paint a one to eight body to a, in comparison to a one to eighteenth scale body. Mm-hmm. Um, the decals, all those fabrication steps uh, take the same thing, the same time amount, amount of m- amounts of time. Right. Uh, so I learned not everything works out. You have to watch for the scale. Yeah, well, it's the way the market plays. And I think the takeaway I hear from this is to try different things. Keep trying different things. Take a percentage of your income and put it out there to test yourself to move into a new area and uh, see where it goes. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Is that the takeaway that you got from those experiences? Yeah. Yeah. But I haven't given up the idea yet. It's all of those ideas are still in my mind and they're like my little pets. That didn't grow up. Grow up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the marketing end is always the challenge. People have great ideas, but it's getting out there, putting it out in front of people so people become aware of it. But I like the concept that you set up for us here of taking a little bit of, the, of your income and trying new things every year, just testing, testing, testing. And if it doesn't work, try it a different way. Keep trying it a different way. I think that's great. Well, let's shift gears here, Christoph, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a, a career aha moment. One of those times where you're taking a new direction, a new step into a new area. Tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success. Well, one aha moment was um, when the Jet Alliance racing team started to face, you know, the yeah the downturn of the economy in 2008, 2009. Yes, the Jet Alliance stopped racing, and then I told my the CEO of the team and. Um, of uh, the Jet Alliance mother company, why don't you sell those two cars? But before you do, your possible buyer will always be a human. So let me make a little book on, on the car. Just like racing horses, you, the more pedigree your racing horse has, the, the more valuable the, the car is. But normally, if you talk to uh, race teams, you get like a CD-ROM with a felt marker written photos on it and you get a <laughs> word file and it has like two pages yeah, it's about it. <laughs> third ed in the IMSA challenge or uh, sixth place class GT uh, Sebring Daytona so, so I thought now let's make a really nice book and we are going to wrap it in suede leather and I'm going to stitch the Aston Martin logo into it since I also had to do all those embroidery things for the uh, the overalls of the drivers and the team clothing sure so i had all those um, contacts and little companies that do those things and i just combined them in a book and i persuaded my boss that's a very cool idea you'll get a lot 
a person that is going to buy this car and sees the history of this car, car from every test drive being uh, monitored with pictures and little text to go along with it and explanations written down the mileage of every gearbox and engine number, mm -hmm. they will value it. Right. They will pay more. Oh, yeah. The outcome was, uh, or the, my, uh, my aha moment was, okay, since I'm doing this in like a uh, uh, publication of uh, two copies per chassis number of the, we had two cars at the team, mm -hmm. Jetlines, chassis 103 and 105. So you, know, you just do like five books. And then on the rear page, I thought, on the last page in the imprint, I thought, okay, let's just put my name everywhere. Photography, the layout, Christoph Mader, text, Christoph Mader, research. So I put my name like 10 times underneath. <laughs> yeah, so promotion. Just like it, just that people will may uh, might get a little grin on their face and think, wow, this is a running gag somewhere here. <laughs> or you didn't take out the blind copy. <laughs> but what that brought me was... A couple of days after the car was uh, sold uh, on an auction in Monaco, a guy called me and said he's holding his uh, the car the, the, book. the book of the car in his hands. Cool. And and I knew him. He was one of our drivers. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I thought, yeah, great. I'm happy that you got the book <laughs> and the car. Yeah. And. He then said, well, you might not know that I also have a couple, uh, publication company. Ah. And I do have a little idea. Would you mind flying to Vienna so that I can um, tell you about this idea? And I said, yes. I'll I'm be going. there. <laughs> when do you I'll want me there? there. <laughs> you know, this is really a cool story because, again, it's taking something and uh, elaborating on it, creating something more out of it, self-promotion, which is always important. And you never know where it's going to lead to. And, and that's where it led. So uh, it's a wonderful story. I love it. How about your proudest career moment? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? Well, the the first one that I had was um, uh, that didn't even have anything to do with cars was um, in the mid of the 90s. I was still in university and um, I applied to be a, a software teacher for Adobe. Mm -hmm. They have a Photoshop, a Premiere, Premiere, you call it Premiere for um, yes. uh, offline editing of videos. Oh, yeah. And since I knew how to do that, and you know, that's what I learned in visual communications. So I applied for a job uh, on a freelance basis. And then they called and said, they have a job for me. I have to do two days of teaching on the other end of Germany. And um, they wanted to know what, what airport would be the best for me, that they can book a flight for me. <laughs> nice. I was like jumping up and down. <laughs> Somebody's booking a flight for me and <laughs> yeah. I don't even have to pay it. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really cool when your craft is recognized by other people and has value and that they're willing to pay you for that value. There's nothing better than that feeling uh, when that happens. So very, very cool. Well, I want to have a little fun here and go back and talk about your first really special car. You've talked about that Alpha Sud, but is there a car that you acquired that was really special for you? And maybe you could share a memory with that vehicle. Well, um, after all my Alpha suits, I had three. Like every year, I needed a new one because of the gearbox and <laughs> uh, and the rust. Yes. <laughs> they did have rust. Then I said, okay, I wasted enough money on cars. The next car that I'm going to buy has to have at least 200 horsepower. Okay. And I told this to everyone. 
but the plan was that the Porsche 911 SC, three mm -hmm. liter, mm -hmm. from the beginning of the 1980s, yep. that has 204 horsepower. So it it qualifies. It qualifies. So um, and I wanted to have it by my 27th birthday. Cool. That was the limit. I took a picture, you know, those Polaroid cameras. Oh yeah. I, so I took a Polaroid camera. I always passed it when I had to go to clarinet lesson. My parents made me um, made me uh, learn an instrument. Good for All of them. my brothers and sisters <laughs> nice. had to learn one, and I ended up with a clarinet. Mm -hmm. Very unsexy instrument. <laughs> Cannot impress any women, <laughs> any woman with a uh, with a clarinet. clarinet. Yeah. <laughs> but I passed this car. Every time I went to the teacher, um, and it, they had a white 911 SC standing in front of the door. So I took a Polaroid of that car, and I pinned it to my pinboard next to my computer yep. throughout my compute, uh, complete um, university time just to tell myself, this is what I'm doing it for. I'm going to get yeah. that thing. And, yeah. and I have a time deadline here. Very important. What, 27? Well, so then... With my, when I was working for Zaxby's, the, beforehand I asked at the bank, would you give me a loan? And they said, no, nah, you're a student. You don't have any income. You don't have any regular income. Right. Now we are not giving you a loan. So when I had my third paycheck, <laughs> I went to the bank again. <laughs> do I now qualify for a loan? Oh, yes, you do. Yes. Okay. Then, <laughs> <laughs> then I need 10,000 euros. It was just the, the start of the euro, 2002. Ah, uh, yes. And they asked me, what do you need it for? Uh -huh. I said, I'm going to buy a Porsche 911. Yep. And um, that's what I did. Yeah. Uh, I bought it. I didn't know. It, it was the only 911 that I've ever driven. I never drove one beforehand. Uh -huh. So the test drive was like useless in a way <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't know to compare it to what. And I was so thrilled with emotions that I just uh, yeah. thought, well, the guy is nice. He has children. He must be honest. I'm going to buy it. There you go. <laughs> you know, there's an important lesson here, and you and I shared something here, Christoph. When I got out of college and got my first job, I was a creative director at a design firm, and I really wanted a Porsche 911. But my wife and I just bought a new home. We were going to have a, a child in a few years, and it just was kind of a foolish thing to spend money on. But I did set that goal, so I bought a big poster of a 911S. I put it right above my desk, and every day I would look at that and say, someday I'm going to have a red 911 just like that. And eventually that goal was set. I think for me I had to be I was not going to let my 30th year go by without getting one. And I found myself a 74 911S, and that's what I did. So I think the takeaway here is, you know, set goals, visualize goals, set deadlines. And you know what? If you work hard, it'll actually happen. So <laughs> now how about seller's remorse? Is there a car that you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? That car I had to let go. I thought I had to let it go after only seven months because I didn't have any money. The The complete money that I did not have was already in the loan to buy, to acquire that car. Sure. And um, I drove like 25,000 miles in those uh, seven months. Wow. Because Zach Speed is in the middle of nowhere at the Nürburgring. There's like n nothing around there. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I drove every day 80 miles back and forth. <laughs> well, I've been on those roads. Those are some nice roads to be in an SC. Well, I would love to talk a little bit about this book project because as I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to give away a copy of this awesome book, Carrera RS book. The original book that I bought a copy years ago, which the Porsche fans will know is the one that's covered in the green fabric. 
uh, is a fabulous book. I have my own copy, as I mentioned. I actually bought a copy in Japan that I found that was printed in English. Lucky me. But this new book, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this new book and your involvement with it. Well, after I did the Aston Martin book uh, for uh, on the DBR9 in collaboration with Thomas Gruber, he is also the guy um, that did the Carrera RS book 20 years ago. Yeah. So his little publication company only produced one book in 1992 and then the Aston Martin book uh, 20 years on. Mm-hmm. And then he introduced me to uh, Georg Konradsheim. And from there on... Because Georg Konradsheim was working on the on the new edition, he's like one of the first people to um, that I know that um, uh, that understood a big data. Because he's collecting everything. If he sees a Porsche somewhere, he takes a note. Mm-hmm. I saw it here and there, and it had that color at that moment of time. He's like a encyclopedia. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in Germany, in German, we have a word "corifier," "corific." Mm-hmm. Do you have it in English? No, I haven't heard that, but but I'll I'll coin it. I like it. Yeah, carrific. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, it was clear. Okay, we're going to do a a new edition, and I was the guy that had to do the the design, the layout works. Lucky you. The production, uh, choosing the color of the book Ooh. and the color of the slipcase. Nice. So I tried to convince them. I already knew firsthand. Okay, we're going to, for a signal. Signal um, yellow and uh, the CPR brown, um, but it didn't convince them. So I made a prototype. Ah, um, cool. So this is what it looks, and this is how it looks next to the red and green book. Mm-hmm. Because if they are in the shelf side by side, you have to have colors that are that have the same like weight. Yeah, the same. You know, like a beige color would just um, just get lost sure. next to it. Absolutely. And that's how um, the it was very soon clear that we have to get a, a cool color combination, and it ended up with uh, those colors. Yeah, very cool. So you did the design, the layout. You also did a lot of other things internally in the book, right? Well, the first thing that I did was um, I asked them, where's the data? Uh, wow, well, it's 20 years ago. It's difficult. So then first I scanned every page, ran it through an OCR software, then... Um, corrected all those little tiny mistakes that the OCR software sometimes does. And then I had to implement all the text that uh, Mr. Conrad Sign gave me. And I had to relay out the complete thing. So I was the copy editor for the German edition mm-hmm. and then did the translation for the uh, English edition. Awesome. But awesome. as you know, that as you can hear, my English is not perfect for a book. Well, your English is way better than my German, that's for sure. So you, you did an awesome job. You know, that book, I got to get my hands on that book at Rensport this year, and it was just absolutely fantastic. I mean, really, really nicely done. Having the first book and then getting my hands on the second book is absolutely special. And those Porsche fanatics out there will understand, but you don't have to be a Porsche fanatic to love this book. It, you, you and your team did a really, really fantastic job. Kudos to you for what you did. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Christoph. If you were a car, what kind of car would Christoph be and why? I would probably uh, be a mixture between a Lotus Elise, an Aston Martin, and an Alfa Romeo. Oh, my gosh. Okay, why is that? Why is that? <laughs> From the drivability and the road holding or, or handling, 
uh, it must be the Elise, mm -hmm. but I think it's too, it, it looks like a club racer and that's why it's the sales uh, figures aren't, aren't that great. Mm -hmm. If it would have the interior and the look of an Aston Martin from the inside ah. and also from the outside, it would sell a lot better and look the part yes. to go with it. And the engine can be an Alfa Romeo engine. There you go. I like that combination. Very nicely done and a very unique answer as well. So, Christoph, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. All right, Christoph, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick Blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Uh, the best automotive advice came from Robert Lechner because I was uh, at the uh, Walter Lechner Racing School. Mm. Apart from the Super Cup, I also uh, worked for the racing school and they do um, with Formula Fords. Yeah. Okay. Do all those events. Yes. Before all those guests appeared at 9 a.m. At 7 a.m., somebody had to get the engines warm. Ah. So I said, I am going to do it. I love it. Yeah. So I drove around the track and my lap time was like 46 seconds, which was as good as the better guys of the people that are doing uh, uh -huh. 
those labs are, to, are doing. Yeah. And then Robert Lechner came. It was his father's team. He was Formula Ford champion, German champion, Austrian champion. He got in the car and the first lap was 37 seconds. Ah. So like nine seconds quicker than me on one kilometer. Oh, so yeah, well, <laughs> he's, a, he's a professional. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So what was his advice? So I asked him, how did you do that? What's the key? And he said, well, um, you know how you always have to explain um, our uh, pupils and students uh, before they get in the car, we do all those um lecturing on how to uh, shift with those uh, unsynchronized gearboxes mm -hmm. and you know it's uh, you have this platform and you have to brake and when you're finished braking in a straight line then braking is finished then you can think about turning in right he said that's rubbish that's not how we do it in a real car <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like a platform and the platform has a weight distribution and it if you're under braking all the weights moves forward to the front. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of grip on the front tires. You have to use this momentum while turning in. And then as you ease off the, the brake, uh, you roll into the, uh, in, towards the apex and then you, uh, the weight shifts to the back and you can be on the thr throttle earlier. But sure. it's all about this, um, pivoting, um, platform. And he, sh he used his hand to show, you know, like a piece of paper. Right. It moves and you have to always know where the weight is moving. Cool. Yep. Very good advice. Use. Sounds familiar. Now, how about a personal habit? Is there one that you believe has helped contribute to your success? Yeah. One habit is, um, that I, I try to not shave off those areas of life or of your own behavior that aren't, um, like the common thread. For example, in, in my, maybe a stupid uh, picture here now, but in my wallet, all the, the bills, the money bills, they have to face in the same direction <laughs> forward and they are um, by size from the little ones to the top ones. I'm laughing because it's exactly what I do. I think that's called a little bit of compulsion, if you will, but, uh, yeah, the same thing goes for my sock drawer and my shirts in my closet. They're, they're all by color codes. My wife just rolls her eyes. But uh, I think those are some of the elements of the designer in you, being organized. Now, how about a resource? Is there one you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I thought about that question. And um, I think my resource is talking to people. Mm. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> when I did the... Um, <laughs> funny. <laughs> For example, I had this uh, moment with uh, Ryan Snodgrass. Uh, he's from Seattle. He did the Carrera 2.7 book, and I yes, was uh -huh. the designer for him. Yeah. So he visited me in Hanover um, for like a, a strip of seven days. And um, and then I said, no, I have to do the lunch break. Mm. I said, well, yeah, we're going to a restaurant. And every day we went to a different restaurant and, um, you know, sat down or it takes time until the uh, waiter shows up. So we lost like one hour every day. <laughs> and a year later, he came on vacation to Europe and he had his uh, wife and daughter with him. Mm -hmm. So then I was walking with a complete uh, Snodgrass family to, through my city. And then I told to his wife, look at this restaurant and that one. Your husband knows all of them. And then she just answered, yes, I know about your very time-consuming lunch breaks. Ah, <laughs> very cool. 
Talking with people, oh so important. Now, how about a book? Now, I know this is a tough one because you've been involved in books, but other than the books that you've been involved with, is there one book you could recommend to our listeners that you've enjoyed reading? Um, well, then uh, it'll be The Time Traveler's Wife from Audrey, Audrey Niffenegger. It has been filmed, uh, put into a motion picture, but the book is a lot, lot better. And whoever I sent this book as a, a gift, they... Um, start crying after a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the first time that book has been recommended here. And listeners, you can find all these great resources that Christoph has shared with us on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com slash Christoph Mader. And Christoph's last name is spelled M-A-E-D-E-R. All right, Christoph, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price, because today I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like. What would that vehicle be? And more importantly, why? Oh, that's also a difficult question. <laughs> yes, it is. The Ferrari uh, Dino 246, Ooh. that uh, would be in the very close um, selection. Yes. Like in the top three. Okay. But if money is not the problem, then I would say I would take also, a possibility would be to take an Alpha Sat Sprint Coupe, but put in as much horsepower and uh, tune the engine, basically, and the uh, and the drivetrain <laughs> and suspension, um, so that you can shock a lot of people on the road. <laughs> uh, but make it like nobody can see it. Ah, yes, I understand so exactly. The looks have to stay original, but. Mm -hmm. If the bodywork is by carbon fiber, uh, I wouldn't even have a problem with that. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> so, weight, so, weight uh, so if you had to pick between those two, the Dino or the Alpha Sud Spring Coupe, which would it be? Mm, well, the complete family doesn't fit in the Dino. So I think for that reason, you'll end up either at the 911, uh, 911 G model early, G model, um, 1976, 77 mm -hmm. would be my choice or, the episode Sprint Coupe that you didn't have in, in the U.S. as I learned. No, we don't. So I'm going to make – got to pick one. You can't kind of leave it iffy here because my past uh -huh. 599 guests are going to be a little upset if I let you get away with that. So you got to pick just one car. What's it going to be, the Alpha or the 911? The Alpha Sud Sprint Coupe, and a lot of people, especially my shareholders, will hate me for this answer. But <laughs> hey, that's okay. That's okay. That's your your answer today. You get to pick whatever you like. So I like that, and I like the fact that it's going to have kind of a, a a big motor hidden underneath the deck to uh, surprise those folks on the autobahn. So uh, very cool choice. I love it. Well, Christoph, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us? One parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the Autobahn in that Alpha Suit Spring Coupe with the big motor. <laughs> yeah, maybe just to be patient with uh, whatever dreams you have. You know, try to keep your aims focused, but um, don't give up too early and try to cherish, cherish the thought that you have an aim and uh, a thing you love. Nice, nice words of wisdom for sure. Now, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you, and how can they get their hands on a copy of your books? Well, we are um, selling our books on our web shop on www.tag-motorbooks.com. Okay. 
And also, if you Google my name, you will find, um, I think you will find my private website from my free, from my time as a freelancer. And what is that website real quick? It's, um, www.mater1.de. Great. Well, listeners, you can find links to Christoph's website and the link to TAG Books website. You're going to love these books. They're absolutely fantastic for any automotive enthusiast, a worthy addition to your library for sure. And again, one lucky subscriber is going to win a copy of this Carrera RS book, Compliments of Christoph and the, the Publishers. It's absolutely fantastic. All you have to do is go to carsyad.com, click on the free book button. That will register you to be a winner, and I'll pick a winner, and we'll mail that off to you right away. Christoph, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and with the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Yeah, thank you. It was very fun. I enjoyed it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.